I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, it's Raghu. I'm back with Mind Rolling. And I'm back, really back. Boy, it's been a while. Chris Grosso, thanks for being here, Chris. Thank you very much, Raghu. Always a pleasure. So we were just trying to catch up a little bit. And yeah. I was saying, yeah, no, I was I, I was gone to India. Then I was in Maui to momentous events. And this thing mm. in Maui, actually, this is my first podcast since that Maui. It was in May 2018. And... Um, Early May, so it's really right on my mind. And I was just telling you, no death, no fear was mm-hmm. the theme with Roshi Joan Halifax and uh, Frank Ostaseski, who uh, is also one of those great uh, wisdom keepers for the transition process. Absolutely love Frank's work, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then we had a guest star... <laughs> As it was, <laughs> Bob Thurman. So it was, and of course, Ramdas and Krishnadas, and I and uh, Duncan Trussell, and uh, and others, including my beautiful wife Saraswati, who taught yoga and turned on so many people. That's lovely. That I I saw the pictures of uh, of Bob there. I did not know he was going to be there. Um, love his work too. Of course, he's tremendous. Um, yeah, I mean, incredibly entertaining. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do a talk at Tibet House this summer. So I saw I'm, that. Yeah, oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah he's tremendous. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so great. Um, so we did that, and uh, that was very edifying. And and of course, over this time, as in life, there has been some beautiful moments, and then some very darker moments, uh, mm. which are 
course, good fodder for moving along in relation Excellent. to our attachment to everything that's me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I actually am reading. So Chris has a new book, Dead Set on Living. We almost forgot that, Chris. Oh, hey. Uh, yeah. Well, but, yes. you, but before we get it, you know, I w- there's some things in it that really relate to, you know, in terms of the day-to-day up and down that we all face and sure. you never know what's coming or what's going to happen and uh and so on it's it can be very difficult to to maneuver and manage life on a day-to-day basis so there's a lot of great stuff in this book everybody Thank that uh, i'll highlight some of the things that make uh, good sense to me or turn me on Appreciate but what else that. is so what about you You've so, been going on on book tours and doing all that, right? Yeah, I mean, not so much a book tour with this one. I've definitely been doing workshops and um, talking. I just did a really uh, interesting workshop with uh, Damien Eccles, who was one of the West Memphis Three, for anyone familiar with that. It was a big case back in the 90s. HBO it was in a, the book. And yeah. It's incredible. I, I was going to definitely uh, ask yeah. about that. Yeah, we could talk about that a little more later, but for anyone unfamiliar... Um, he uh, just long short was, you know, wrongly convicted of a crime. He and two others he didn't commit spent 18 years on death row, I think 12 or 13 years of which was in solitary confinement and never got released on what's called the Alfred plea. And really it was only thanks to a three part documentary series that HBO did called Paradise Lost and the support of people like Eddie Vedder and Johnny mm-hmm. Depp and Henry Rollins and mm-hmm. Peter Jackson, who did um, The Hobbit and Lord of Rings yeah. movies. He did another follow-up documentary called West of Memphis that picked up where the HBO series left off. So anyways, that's his story in a nutshell. He has a fantastic book coming out with Sounds True in the fall. So just want to give him and that a shout out. Not that he needs (laughs) my shout out. He already has a New York Times bestseller out. But um, Well, we'll have him him here on the show. Oh, yeah. I'll I'll make the introduction. He's tremendous. Um, But yeah, we did a workshop out at Cosm, um, Alex Gray's facility, a couple of weeks ago, which was wonderful. Um, Mm. A really nice group of people. And um, yeah, so that I've been doing talks throughout um, more New England, not going too far uh, out of New England right now. It's been a lot more online stuff. It just tends to make more sense these days, you know, um, when you're you know, about the Dalai Lama. Actually, when we were at the retreat, Bob told us this and then it got confirmed by this thing that was announced uh, that he was doing in San Francisco. Uh, But he ain't going to be there in the body. He's going to be there virtually. And Bob told us that, you know, he's found that he can do that. And, you know, it's tough to travel at his age at this point. So he's doing a lot more online stuff. And he's doing this great thing with Paul Ekman, I believe, in San Francisco. And Paul's a fantastic uh, uh, guy uh, who's who's worked with him on on compassion and, and so on books that's fantastic yeah, yeah. yeah i mean it's just so, so convenient um especially when you are busy with workshops and, and teaching and traveling for other non-book related things so but right. yeah i mean that's the in so, a nutshell yeah. um you you have this little quote that sort of opens your introduction which is you know applicable to everybody oh that's and really you know i did a podcast with gabor mate who you have in this book yeah who's is incredible guy and uh he went back with me and we discovered some of my addictions which you know i haven't been going to uh aa about uh, because i didn't think they had anything to do with what (laughs) aa was talking about uh but they very well did, and he really, uh, he was great. You know, he just uh, we all got addictions, every one of us, Absolutely. and maybe addicted to 
to uh, thinking about what the worst is that can happen at any one moment yeah. all the time. That yeah. is indulgent addiction uh, uh, par excellence. Uh, mm. So, so and then in here, you, so you start the whole thing, uh, you know, with the Zen master Ikuyu Sojin. Mm. Uh, sometimes all I am is a dark emptiness. That's great. I mean, <laughs> I love the way he put that. But my question is, what was he thinking when he? I mean, what was what was his intention here? I mean, wh- is this out of context, or is just a complete koan all by itself? I think it's a complete koan. His his writing is very, very raw um, and very ragged and very uh, visceral. Um, and that's what I like about him. Um, now that, you know, you think of Buddhism, you think of emptiness. And, you know, if we're talking about it in that context. But I, I think there, I don't think he was referring to emptiness in the more traditional Buddhist sense. You know, like, um, because he was a very dark figure in a way he also wrote some beautiful um he was more of a poet than a writer um but he wrote some beautiful things as well uh but you know he had no problem writing back in his day about sex and you know using the word fuck and um you know these were things that were pretty unheard of let alone from a zen master um Wait, what is that word in Japanese? Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up. When we're it probably back. is going to sound poetically beautiful to us. It I mean, probably would. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, for I was just going to say, like, for me, like that, I I put it in there quite literally. Um, it is a, its own, you know, con in its way. But to me, that's how a lot of the times in my past years and my younger years, I felt like when I read that, it resonated very deeply on the surface level. A dark emptiness, nothing yeah. more, no yeah. deeper exploration, just simply a dark emptiness, a void, a hole, you know? So yeah. I we thought it was all, very fitting. I, and we all have that. We yeah. all have that sure. and or have had that or yeah. have it, but are not as uh, in, willing to go and indulge it completely yeah. so it doesn't take total hold, you know, like it used yeah. to. So yeah. that's uh, certainly a, a common experience for everybody. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and it's the and what this book everybody tries to highlight basically not tries does an excellent time of doing that mm. uh, with so many great wisdom teachers that uh, Chris talked to, uh, but but certainly getting at using this dark emptiness mm-hmm. as a primary tool to transform uh, all of the. Uh, the equations that keep us in these habitual patterns, basically. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, all right, well, it, let's go well, ahead. You, I'm I was looking just going to say, I feel like that's when we're the most ripe in, in those, you know, at least in my experience, that's when I've been the most ripe, you know, when I am in that dark emptiness, you know, the, the ego is deflated and not by spiritual practice per se, but I've just worn myself out and it's like that, you know, metaphoric white flag of surrender goes up and it's like, all right, I give up, you know, what do you want me to do? You mm. as capital Y, you know, what do you yeah. want me to do? And the big um, you. you, yeah, you. yeah. It should be a new religion. We could start <laughs> you, you, Let's, we could market the, the hell you, out you. of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, you referred, you know, Tar Brock, who's a great teacher mm-hmm. and close to uh, our closest friends. Absolutely. She's like a cousin. 
Yeah. <laughs> she uh, wrote a book called Radical Acceptance, which is yeah. great, everybody. Uh, but you were just talking about, or mentioned, uh, we're talking about the trance of unworthiness, uh, yeah. which is a nice way to put that. And you say, we might know we judge ourselves, but we don't often get how much that squeeze of something's wrong with me is a part of everything. So that in every interaction on some level, we're not free to be as spontaneous or playful or alive because we're afraid we're not going to be the person who's accepted by another. Yeah, well, how about this in terms of unworthiness? I was with Maharaji. I think mo a lot of the time I was just waiting. I know you're going to throw me <laughs> out. And I guess I'm ready because as bad as I am, why wouldn't you throw me out? How could I? <laughs> the, these dark thoughts would come from time to time. Sure. So, yeah. So that that's kind of the most, it was such a gross thing of unworthiness, but unworthiness can be so subtle. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was just talking with my girlfriend last night and um, she's unfortunately had some in her past uh, relationship wise, not the healthiest relationships. And she's experienced her share of trauma throughout her life. And she was saying to me, um, we were making dinner and she was like, you know, I, I, I've got a dilemma. And I was like, that's funny. I've got a dilemma too. Mine was completely unrelated, but she, mm -hmm. I'm like, what's your dilemma? And she's like, it's like for the first time in as far back as I can remember, it's been several months for the most part of things going really well in my life. And it's like, yeah. I'm stuck in that. When's the other shoe going to drop or when's everything going to fall apart? You know, like that's the conditioned thinking that she's been led to. And, and I was like, I understand because I still deal with that. I'm sure we all do to a certain extent. Some maybe more than others, but uh, you know, totally. When, you, especially when you have those experiences um, in your life, where that's what the result has been is the other shoe has dropped, or you've created the other shoe dropping in whatever way or whatever behaviors or actions you've done. So it's um, it's just interesting. It wasn't in any spiritual context. So we were just chatting, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and uh, but um, it made me sad, but also happy because you know now she's at a place where in her life where. She's in a healthy relationship. Well, as healthy as two weirdos can be, but pretty, we're, we, we uh, compliment one another pretty well. So. Yeah. As a good friend of mine said, the way that a relationship will work great is if your neuroses fit each other. Yeah. <laughs> I think Period. ours do. So there it is. I'm going to have to it. share that with her. Yeah. That's great. Of course, it'll take a year for the shadow to come. Oh, yes. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I like what you say here also about unworthiness uh, or talk about it's not it, the sense of not being enough for yourself or everybody around you walking around. Now, some people go in the opposite direction, become megalomaniac, you know, kind of people. Yeah. Uh, and others become very inward drawn, not inward drawn in kind of the right way, but self-conscious. Yeah, and uh, this sense of not enough is is a, is a very big deal. Um, that it and she points out the deepest truth is the one we forget, which is that if we're not kind towards ourselves, if we don't feel loved toward the light that's within, within, we cannot embrace others fully, hmm. which is the key to absolutely everything. That's why the Bodhisattva vow, right? I mean, uh, first start there. Think of someone else, not yourself. Start there and work backwards at the very least. Yeah. Uh, so. when, and I love, that's such a good point. Um, 
you know, as Maharaji said, it's the second part of his teaching, serve everyone. And uh, for me, I've just, that has actually backfired on me in a way. So I've just oh, had yeah. to become yeah. cognizant because that for me, it, it became at times a form of aversion or escapism because by helping others, I didn't have to look at myself and my own problems. You know, it just gave me, let me help you and your, your issues. So I wasn't, you know, taking care of myself. So finding that balance of making sure that I'm doing my service work in a way that I'm not doing it as a means of aversion, like I said, but a sincere, like I'm taking care of myself so I can also help in whatever way I'm called to help. Um, So that's just something I had to learn myself because really like boundaries were an issue, stretching myself too thin. But um, as long as we're taking, or as long as I'm taking care of myself and, and being healthy, then then it can be a very sincere, honest showing up and 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 uh, yeah. service, real uh, karma, yeah. yoga. It all goes back to the same thing. Be here now. That guy who said that, right? Well, I forgot his name, but yeah, that I've heard that before. Yeah, that guy. I mean, and it keeps coming up all the time. We just this as uh, this whole retreat on death, and it was a lot. It, you have to be present with whatever it is you're relating with. At yeah. every moment, be it from meditation to chanting to working to everything, making love, whatever. It's really that be here now. And as soon as you know you're caught in thoughts, you're not there. That's separation. Paranoia ensues, yes. right? 100%. So, yeah. I don't know if you know Tommy Rosen, if you've ever had I him do. on your show. Yeah. So I just was, uh, I did an interview with him last week for his mm. 10th anniversary recovery 2.0 conference, which I know Ram Das has been on. And uh, we talked quite a bit about um, Ram Das and be here now because it coincides so perfectly with the teachings of uh, the 12 step fellowships, you know, um, just for mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. be here now, you know, and uh, so we talked at length about that. It was a really great conversation. And oh, I was so great. excited when Ram Das was on there because his wisdom, you know, is it, it knows no bounds, whether you're in recovery or whatever, you know, it's, yeah, well, that's what I like to get at. Like, emphasize again, we are all in recovery. We really yes. are. And, yeah. And it can be as simple as this last little example of uh, just having, once you move away from being here now, you immediately are in separation. You're believing in your thoughts. You're, you're following that whole thing and removing that oneness with the moment, which is yeah. everything. So exactly. that... We're in recovery from this, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's important for everybody. Huge. And I'm so glad you you make that point. I remember it was back in like, I think 2011, roughly, I was interviewing Trappist monk, Father Thomas Keating, and a beautiful, beautiful Christian contemplative monk. And I mentioned to him that I was in uh, recovery from drugs and alcohol. And he he laughed a very gentle, playful laugh. And uh, he was like, well, I'm in recovery too. And I remember thinking, oh shit, I didn't know Father Keating had a problem, had to have it. But he went on to say, I'm in recovery from the human condition and the degree to which we all suffer to a certain extent. And it was like, I, I didn't realize how you know my blinders were on recovery, addiction, drugs. No, just like you said, if you've taken you know human birth, we're yeah. all recovering from something. Yeah. We've all experienced the Buddha's yeah. first truth, you know, first noble truth. Yeah, it's recovering back to the natural state, basically, is yeah. what we're really talking about. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, not sounding 
too uh, intellectual about it because the work on the day-to-day basis of actually relating that way is is a lot of work. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of mindfulness and practices. Yes. And, it's, and we are lazy. I am <laughs> <We are> terribly <laughs> lazy. And that's why I go to India and I hang out with beings that are there so I don't have to do it myself and just you get be the in transmissions. Yeah. And then, you know, it lasts, uh, well, some of it lasts a lifetime. Others of sure. it seems to wear off after a while. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's fun going back and forth. Um, this, I don't know, Ann Davin? Ann Davin. I, I didn't know her either. Lissa Rankin uh, introduced me to her, who is also in the book. Oh, well, next, came, here's something. I believe this is from, although, yeah, here's your thing. You're not, We're talking about the emotional body. She says some really excellent things, everybody. Absolutely. Listen to this. There are very specific life events that help shape our brains. It starts with early childhood experiences that shape the brain, which then creates a flood of hormones into the body based on the event that's happening. These are transmitted into the body through neural pathways developed in response to the environment. Just just think of the, the complexity and subtlety. Inside each of us is a whole neural network that's been formed as an imprint in response to the social environment that influenced us in our developmental years. Those tracks inside of us start to change when we start to ask those larger questions as we become young adults. Who am I? Why do I get angry every time a person does this? Why am I responding to my wife in this way and sounding just like my father? God, (laughs) that one really hit below the belt on that one. It's when we start to make those associations asking those deeper questions that we discovered that we are past in the present. Mm. That is really great, Chris. Yeah. I got introduce me to her. I got to get happy to. She's, she's tremendous. I think actually she, Lisa introduced me because she is her, um, her own psychologist. Um, I believe now this was a few years ago, so I could be wrong, but, um, you know, she's, she's Jungian trained and mm. she's spent a lot of time in indigenous cultures and that's, you know, deeply influenced her work. And I trust Alyssa. She's a, uh, definitely a mentor to me and has uh-huh. been for many years. Mm. Um, a wonderful, authentic voice in this community. Um, so when she said, you know, I think you should talk with Anne after our conversation for the book, I, like yeah. I said, I trust her implicitly yeah, and I'm great. so glad I did. She as you know, that chapter is, it's, you know, people ask, what's your favorite chapter? I, I honestly can say I don't necessarily have a favorite, but there are some that speak more loudly to me than others. Um, not to say that any are less valuable than the others, because I think there are things in each one that might resonate more for a specific kind of person. Um, but I know Anne's was a, a one of one of those for me. You know? Yeah, well, that's, you know, very unique um, way of ex- explicating that uh, exactly how we become the somebody that we relate to as and and it's so it's wonderful and it's also great to know uh that this is a common thing that runs throughout all of us we all have this and to one extent or another it depends on how much conditioning happened from that environment that really challenged those cells and neurons right and now of course this through his holiness the dalai lama and richie davidson and all these other guys they are really proving out that 
one can, through practice, actually change those uh, through neurotransmitters, change. You can yeah. change. You can actually rehabituate this shit. Yeah. How promising, awesome. right? Right. I know uh, like Rick Hansen's done a lot of work around that and Joe Dispenza um, and, and uh, you know, the aforementioned people as well. Uh, and that's such a promising, you know, ray of sunshine, I guess, for lack of better terminology. But to know like, wow, I really if if I'm willing to do the work, which, again, we're lazy, I'm I'm lazy. But if you show up and do it, um, pretty incredible things can happen and uh, will happen. But, and even, you know, we we joke a little bit and we we say we're lazy. I mean, but we are uh, just asking for what I would normally always do, no matter what. I sit down there for however long I do. Sure. But every day, yep. no matter what I'm feeling, I get up and I sit down. And as Sharon Salzberg said, I try and get real. Yeah. Okay. We're getting real by yeah. f- by doing that one action so everyone can do that one a- even if it's five minutes and you're just yep. you know talking to uh hanuman that's yep. fine too or buddha or anybody just you don't have to do any just do there start there just sit down a couple of pictures you know incense yeah. and a candle and that's it and nobody bugging you tell everybody they stay out um, uh, stay out of the room which reminds me of a great story. One of our mentors is K.C. Tuari. I don't know. K- okay. Krishnadas talks about him all the time in his okay. con- in his kirtans. He yeah. was like an Indian father to him, and he was uh, like a, a mentor, major mentor from Maharaji days. Mm-hmm. He was an accomplished yogi on his own. We're actually doing a film on him right now, a documentary called awesome. Brilliant Disguise mm. with uh, uh, David Silver's doing. And... So one of the stories, I don't know if it made it in the film, but I do know this from everybody in the family. We used to hang out with the family. So when he when he was younger and his kids were you know, 5, 8, 10, 15, in that kind of a range, uh, he would get up and do hours of puja. Hmm. And not for any reason, because he liked doing that as much as you and I might like to get some hug and dust. Yeah, but sure. <laughs> that so it was just natural. He would just do it. Wow. But he was a headmaster of a school. That's why the brilliant disguise. And he had to get out at a certain hour. So they said if we interrupted him, he'd actually uh, pick up a ceremonial dagger and he looked. He'd pick it up and look at us, and we'd run our asses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would. <laughs> so uh, yeah, talk about that. Uh, wow. Get some place where nobody's going to bother you, and hopefully you won't do the dagger thing. Oh man, uh, really. <laughs> but that's it. You're right. Five, even five minutes. I do a lot of work with um, young adults, ages 13 to 20, um, that are in whether it's a, you know drugs or alcohol or something under the mental health umbrella, addictions, uh, depression, anxiety, self harm. Um, and I go in and I try to you know share. Actually, we've been teaching out of this book and using it as an extended part of their curriculum. And yeah, um, the book has practices. So that's, a yeah, good. every chapter has a, a corresponding practice. And, you know, I, what I appreciate is a lot of them are very skeptical or cynical. And I think that's very important. Don't, and I tell them when every time I come in there, don't believe a word I say, find out for yourself. And, you know, we go through these practices and it's really um, encouraging to me to see that those, not always, but often a lot of the more skeptical or cynical people 
because I only do the practices a few minutes because I don't want to overwhelm them, but they have, you know, a legitimate, some kind of not transcendental experience, but it's like, wow. Just get I, out of I, yourself for a minute. That's all. Exactly. That's Maybe I really am more than, than my thoughts. Yeah. Or yeah, feel right, your feelings. Exactly. Be yeah. there. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah. So you also have a chapter, of course, on Ram Dass, but mm. uh, uh, I'll leave that because we, we are always bringing, of course, his viewpoint allows people to get really easily uh, uh, taken by the concept and the practice. They're easily taken by it. And that's his gift. And uh, so one thing I will mention, uh, because we're talking about the things that we actually can do, like the sitting for five minutes, and the other thing, of course, is mindfulness. And Ram Dass... (laughs) Here's an... That's a funny story. I called Ramdas because somebody wanted to give him uh, an organization. Actually, it's happening tomorrow. Um, award for being great mindfulness person. Right? Awesome. Yeah. So I call and say, "Isn't this great? They want to give you an award. Will you get on Skype with them?" He said, "For mindfulness. What do I have to do with mindfulness?" <laughs> I go, "What do you mean? You, you're the one who had. You came up with before there was mindfulness the witness." Right. which is the core thing around mindfulness. He said, no, I didn't do that. Um, John Kabat-Zinn did that. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> uh, but he certainly made it, uh, well, you know who, and I said, well, originally it's Gurdjieff, right? Self-remembering. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if you if you looked at Gurdjieff. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's something else out there. I don't know if we talked a lot about Gurdjieff. We should do a show on Gurdjieff. Um, but uh, the witness is extraordinary. Talk about it because I know you got it in the in the book. Just from well, your yeah. point of view, how to use it, right? And, and I mean, so like I, Ken Wilber and Ram Das are, are my two big, still alive teachers, um, uh, for lack of better phrasing, again. But you know, Ken Wilber calls it witnessing awareness as well, whereas Ram Das, you know, will say I am loving awareness, and that's a huge practice for me. That's that. Uh, and the Ho'oponopono, I probably just butchered that, but that mm-hmm. mantra as well, have been the two big ones I've been working with over the last six months to a year. But really, Ram Das nails it when he says, when you are working with the I am loving awareness practice, um, it be, it becomes you. you start, you're the one who initiates doing it, but then it starts doing you. And anything that enters your field is then love because you're just this field of loving awareness and it's not perfect you know of course but i've absolutely had those experiences and that's like you said he translates it in such a simple easy way and and i love that chapter and it's a good one for those who are struggling because he's like in this moment even if you speaking to addiction as an example even if you used a minute ago this is a new minute and you are not an alcoholic you are not an addict you are here now and in this moment, that's all there is. So how, how more simple and beautiful can it be? Not yeah. easy to accept necessarily, but yeah, well, very none of it's easy no. to accept. I mean, uh, what is Annie Lamont? Uh, Jack Cornfield quotes this Annie Lamont. Do you know Annie Lamont? Annie, I don't Annie, know her. I'm very familiar but, with her. Oh, yeah. She's, she's great. Yeah. Uh, oh, she was at the retreat, actually. So oh, wonderful wow. Meeting. Yeah. Um, but my mind is a bad neighborhood. Mm. I try not to go out there too. Late. I love that. One of her greats. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah. One of the greats. I love so, that. But back, so, but this thing with I Am Loving Awareness, which is more recently what Ram Dass has been doing. Right. In the past, he would talk about connecting with that place is that is, quote-unquote, right. I Am Loving, or just Loving Awareness, not the I Am. Even right. Now he's just doing Loving Awareness, Loving, you know, you start yeah. with I Am, and then you get to connecting with the the greater loving awareness, right. not the individual you loving awareness. So, right. but then it's also, so you're connecting with that place, which is our, we the Buddhists would say, Buddha mind, true self, whatever, yeah. those terms. And uh, once you connect there through, and it, that connection can happen through, uh, I mean, it happens most easily, for instance, for me through chant. Yep. I mean, that is a primary practice that immediately uh, takes me that, I mean immediately, <clears throat> as much as I'm in a decent frame of mind uh, <laughs> that I can get out of myself, uh, but to that place. So uh, once that happens on any level, however you do it, even psychedelics, yeah. uh, not even, so, you know, we've all, uh, many of us have used that route. Absolutely. But once you recognize that, then that's the place from which you are you know, having fun watching yeah the, and not judging the crazy ass thoughts that we have the motivated by self-cherishing shit that we do all day long yeah it won't be like it'll be all day long that's okay instead of all day you know that thing right so that's what he has been given uh and and had gave to us in the late 60s early 70s when yeah. be here now is happening uh, and that's a valuable thing to to because if you come anywhere else from witnessing, you're just more judging ego bullshit. Of course, and and, and and what's his name? Who I love, by the way, I just met him, uh, Michael Taft. Oh, God, great. he's great. Absolutely, and I love. He says, "What's great about uh, meditation, uh, but not necessarily true for mindfulness, is that it means you can be mindful even when you're having an incredibly shitty day." That's right. Uh, yeah. that's, talk about that. Do you remember that little thing? I do. Misconceptions I, about mindfulness. That's great. Yeah, I love Michael. He's got a tremendous website called Deconstructing Yourself. Yeah. And that's yeah. how I found out yeah, about it. I did him. a podcast with him just recently, too. Oh, good. Yeah. As, so yeah. as you know, I mean, and he's like a no bullshit guy. You know, we've, yeah, we've totally. talked just on the phone. He's um, definitely someone I'd consider a mentor as well. Um, but I love like, you know, he's he's, you know, he's there, he's present, he's raw, he's authentic. And, um, in at one part, even he's talking about mindfulness. I have a copy of the book here. Um, but he, he, I'll paraphrase it. Cause I don't, I don't want to take up time finding it, but it's, you know, he's yeah. talking about teaching mindfulness and how people, uh, just have a very hard time, especially when they're starting out, um, being mindful and to the point where he said he's had students say something like fuck you to him because they didn't they weren't familiar feeling their feelings and <laughs> i love i remember when he said that i was like all right this guy is definitely speaking my language um mm -hmm. he's he's of course you read this chapter and you can tell right away he is exceptionally uh well versed in these topics uh which he writes on non-dualism and mindfulness um but you know he but he, he also, knows the back, the, the bhakti thing, and he knows the yep. tantra thing. You know, he's got both sides. Oh yeah, he's not absolutely. one dimensional whatsoever. No, and that's what I love about him. But he also conveys it in such a way that is so simple. You know, his teacher is Shin Zen Young, who's another yeah. brilliant um, 
teacher and author who I've had on the show. I don't know if you have too, but he's, mm. he's great. Mm. Um, but Michael breaks it down so simply like mindfulness is as easy as right now. Pay attention to the feeling in your right foot. Now pay attention to the feeling in your left foot. Great. You're being mindful. You know, even if your left foot is a little more, let's say your left foot has pain, but your right foot doesn't, you don't pay more attention to your, your right foot than your left. You just pay attention to both. And you take your awareness out of your thoughts about the pain and you're just there, you know, and, and that takes a lot of the anxiety out of the experience because as you, you know, and I'm sure most listeners know when you start, when we get lost in our thoughts, the, the anxiety comes, you know, the projecting or uh, remorse over past things we've done yeah. and that creates the emotion. And then the emotions, you know, we keep thinking about it and it's just, it's like a pinwheel that's spinning and spinning and spinning. But once we, you know, stop thinking and we come to the breath or place our awareness in the bodies or whatever practice works. Stop you know, thinking is maybe a little too much yes. of a reach, but it's very enough of, of a gap between. Right. Yeah. So, so that's Absorption. where yeah. yeah, bring it to, back to the breath, you know, place your awareness in your abdomen. This is like, you know, mindfulness of one one but yeah. um, I love that Michael is able to convey it in a way that truly anybody can read that and benefit. Yeah. So he's yeah. a great teacher. Yeah. And he talks about, you want to have a, a modicum of concentration, which is absolutely, you have, that's the initial first steps that yeah. you're not being just, you know, m assaulted by your thoughts all right. the time. Right. And that you can just sit for a minute, take some breaths and not chase, you know, yeah. that's the real peace ultimately being able to bring your attention to what you want to bring it to when you want to bring it for as much time as you want to bring it uh in other words concentration is paying attention to what you want to pay attention so attention to and that that is the real there uh the other thing i i don't know whose chapter this is this is sarah beak who loves her and she, I guess, quoted Brunton, Paul Brunton. I, I kind of love that. Uh, oh, I threw that in there. but um, Oh, you did? Yeah, See? Yeah. Okay. I, like I knew. Work. <laughs> He's the one, I guess, who brought, and I wasn't really aware, Ramana um, Maharshi. Yeah. 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 I have others of his books. They're, yeah, I love his work. He was British from the earlier part of last century, uh, or middle part. And so uh, he... Uh, it's it's pretty direct, but uh, it comes from a different era. But I love it. I mean, some of the things he says, uh, like the ego will always be able to find ways to keep the aspirant busy in self improvement, thus blinding him to the fact that the self is still there behind all the improvements. Right? Yeah, that's great. So uh, great. Yeah, that's what I like about his work. Is it's like the direct pointing. You know, like, um, I, I've got, I'm drawing a blank. I think that was from his book, um, the short path to enlightenment, um, or something like that. Uh, mm. and I remember seeing the title, uh, and I was like, ah, oh, the short path to enlightenment, there is no you know, short path. But then, um, I read it and I started reading, I'm like, oh, this is great. And that has been my experience. I'm in no way enlightened, but I can say that like what Paul goes on to talk about is that direct pointing and, you know, you can work in the self-improvement stuff all, the rest of your life, but it's the ego spinning its wheels for the most part. And a, a big teaching for me, I remember I was working with um, someone and she said, uh, close your eyes and now open your eyes. Are you the one that's seeing or is seeing happening? 
you know, right now, are you, Chris, the one that's listening or is, you know, or hearing or is hearing happening? But it was specifically with that eyes thing, though, when I opened them and she said that, I guess in Buddhist context, you could say it's like that stream entry where it's like, holy shit, like my first real taste of that non-dual, like it was, I, Chris was no longer there and it was literally just life, an extension of life, lifing. You know, I, yeah. there was it, it was yeah. all interconnected so and great. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty rad. Yeah. So Paul's great with that. Yeah. Um, well, we should turn right to, before we run out of time, Damien yeah. Eccles. Okay? Sure. Yeah. Cause here's somebody who was on death row for a couple of years. Uh, 18, 12 18? or 13 of which were uh solitary <laughs> confinement. Yeah. 18 years lost, uh, he went in as a teenager. He and the other two, uh, Jason Baldwin and Jesse Miss Kelly, when they were just uh, teenagers. Yeah. Mm. I mean, just talk about some of the things that he talked to you. I mean, talk about somebody having direct experience in the oh, most yeah. uh, I, bizarre, unbelievable, draconian <laughs> physical circumstance. Absolutely. I You know... I did, I mentioned the workshop we did at Cosm together, yeah. um, but we had done another one um, prior to that at another facility in Manhattan. Um, God, yeah, my mind's going blank today. But anyways, it was a really beautiful new facility and it was our first time doing a workshop together. We've been friendly for a while, but it, the one thing that really stuck out to me, and I don't remember what the question was, but his answer, he said, I already lost 18 years of my life to this prison. And I'm not going to allow myself to lose the next 18 plus years of my life by reliving that, by allowing them to take my power away from me. You know, he's like, what's in the past is in the past. I have worked through it. I have made the amends I need to make. Not that he doesn't solve traumas or whatever, but he's like, I, I am the one who's responsible today to not continue to live in that jail cell. And if I, you know, if I, if I'm a victim, this or that, then I'm still in jail, but you know, I'm not there today and I'm not that's not how I want to live my life. So, you know, that really, of course he said it more eloquently. We, you know, we have a really good rapport, I think when we do stuff together. So it's always very, very uh, fun, but so he's into magic with a um, magic with a K which started back with Alistair Crowley and even prior to that. Um, so that was something that's definitely different for this book. Cause I, mm -hmm. I don't know much about magic. I've certainly read, um, about occultism. I just find that sort of thing interesting. It's intriguing to me um, amongst you know all the other wisdom mm -hmm. traditions. But uh, Damien, the way he presents it, I really love it because he talks about, he's a big fan of the Bible, not the literal you know uh, translation, but really looking beneath what's being said. He also uh, was, I think, ordained in the Zen tradition while he was in prison. Um, so he has these other influences. But um, magic is his main thing. That and art. He's a wonderful artist. Um, but, you know, because like I said, magic is not something I'm that well versed in. Um, but I'm looking for something Damien might have said. Um, oh, here, let me. I got one. Yeah, great. That's really great that I did pick out. Yeah. Um, you some Something about growth comes, no growth comes without struggle, right? That's mm. why they call it growing pains, not growing pleasure. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
When you're and facing things in this world, that's what forces you to step outside your comfort zone. It's the confrontation and the battle. We tend to think of spirituality as entirely and absolutely about peace and peacefulness, but it's a battle. It's not an external fighter going to war to force your beliefs on other people. It's about going to battle with the things you don't want to look at in yourself. The things you don't... He wouldn't say it like this, by the way, everybody. I'm sure of it. He's, uh, the things you don't want to face about yourself. Shining the light into those dark, horrible fucking places and wrestling with whatever it is you find there. Yeah. I mean, okay, that's from someone who's uh, had it right in front of him. Yes. On a second by second for 18 years. I mean, and beaten, he, teeth knocked out, no oh dentist, Jesus. had to literally breathe through the pain. Um, so, yeah, anyone listening, you know, when you think you've had it rough, like, don't forget, someone's always got it rougher, you know, and, uh, and to come out of that a, a bigger, stronger person instead of just, you know, being there and, and giving up, taking your own life, turning to drugs or whatever, he, it, it made him thrive, you know, and I'm, uh, humble to call him a friend. Extraordinary. Uh, yeah. That's huge, all there is to say about that. Really? Seriously? Um, Yeah. But yeah, he. I'm just flipping through, and uh, like he mentioned, Zen Taoism, um, very, very important for him. Um, and uh, yeah, he just goes on to talk about the Wiccan tradition and how it kind of very much like the New Age movement, it's become watered down, and that's not what he's interested in. He mm-hmm. wants to get back to the core roots and and make that accessible um, for people, just as I try to do in my work as well, is not water it down and and make the the wisdom teachings, something that people can read and relate yeah. to. Or not so esoteric. Exactly. Yes. That's also yeah. can be a problem. Yeah. Um, so, and everybody, by the way, Duncan Trussell, my partner is in this book, my sometime yes. part, podcast partner at these retreats. So that's a fun thing because he's fun and he has a point of view that is very helpful. Absolutely. Because he's very honest, which yeah. is what you are, which is why this is a, so great. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Um, and Sally uh, Sally Kemp- Kempton is in this book talking about uh, resilience, another favorite subject of mine. Um, and of course, I got a lot, I get a lot in relation to that with Sharon Salzberg, who's also yes. uh, in the book. Uh the very sound of the word resilience captures its bouncy, rubbery quality. Yeah, it just sounds <laughs> great, right? Yes. It's an ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. <clears throat> uh, it's been described as psychological and biological strengths required to successfully master change. Wow. So uh, I... You got to give me your. You've been through some really tough shit, yeah. so resilience. You got to say something about resilience, Chris. Yeah, I, I resilience is, um, in my experience, it has nothing to do with me. I mean, I do the legwork, but every time I've hit what I thought was a rock bottom, and then the bottom gave out, and it just went lower. There was always a. Um, it's metaphoric, but I don't know how else to describe it. But like a a, a flame deep within my heart center something I felt like you're going to come back from this. You know, you just, you need to, again, that white flag of surrender, let go, give it up and listen, 
you know, quiet down and listen. And not like I'm expecting to hear, like we're talking words, but your intuition will guide you. And I know this is starting to sound a little woo-woo-y, but it's very mm-hmm. real from my experience, you know, like literally that's what I attribute to having my first book published too, is I, you know, I did not go to school for writing. Um, it literally just fell in my lap um, through a series of events and then second book and third book come out. But I attribute that to nothing I did. It was sincerely just laying myself aside with the sheer honest intention of how can I be of service? How can I help other people? And um, so the resiliency was for me really never giving up hope. Um, Though I know, you know, some would argue hope is a false teaching because it's in the future somewhere. Whereas try to tell that to someone who's, you know, thinking about committing suicide. Is that really what you're going to tell them? I mean, I wouldn't, but teach their own. Um, But yeah, just really knowing, not knowing, but turning inside. And and like Ram Das would say, when you're stuck in those thoughts of the self-worth and, and or self-denigration, whatever, that's the ego talking. But when you do anchor back into that loving awareness, witnessing awareness, whatever you call it, then you're no longer identified with that. So it's, you know, you're identified with your soul, as he would put it. And the soul doesn't know, you know, that it's, that's not what the soul is. So, yeah. And, and to me, the most practical down to earth manner though, resilience would be connected to the fact that you can always start over. That's uh, Sharon teaches it in Salzburg in meditation. When you're, you realize you've <laughs> you've been lost for 10 15 minutes on some inner drama and yeah. oh i'm watching my breath oh i got lost yeah. oh i'm a shit i'm useless and i'm not a good meditator i should never you know that whole thing that goes and you just say to yourself just start again yeah and that's it on every to me that's resilience you have that we can just start again and realize, of course, we are unfortunately uh, a package of human stuff. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> it's like Pema Chodron's last book. Um, I love the title. I wish I thought of it, but uh, fail, fail again, fail better. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's that. True. there it is right there. I love that. I don't know love that it. book. I thought I yeah, saw it. This is our last one. It was a conversation with Tammy Simon. Um, uh-huh. Good read. Short, yeah. quick. Yeah, it's good. Pretty easy to digest. Okay. Yep. We we will put it up on the show notes for the mind go. rolling with Chris Grasso. <laughs> um, and Sally, uh, she said something else that I think is also incredibly important. And that is how everybody needs to be respected, she says. Mm-hmm. And that is a big deal. Because as much as we need compassion, we need to have respect for other people. People know when they're not respected or taken seriously. And I find that this is one of the things that makes us most resentful. I think that's what so many people in our country are feeling. I think that's kind of right on, no? Oh, 100%. And I, we agreed because there was more to that that didn't make it into the book. Um, oh. That was, you know, as, as I'm sure listeners can gather, we were talking about poli- the political state of affairs in the country. And uh, we were talking about Donald Trump. And we didn't want to lose sight of the main goal of that chapter and, and you know, what Sally was trying to mm. share. So we took the part about Trump out. Um, 
I, I think we did at least. Um, and we're just making it more of a general statement. Um, but absolutely to have respect for self and in that respect, yes, being compassionate, but also, you know, compassionate to, I was gonna say to an extent, that's not the proper phrasing, but, um, in a way where we were understanding, you know, but not judgmental. So, you know, not like finger pointing, cause that's not going to help. And that's also, where is the respect in that both of self and other? Uh, so I know, uh, I don't want to name names, but I, you know, I know some people that support Trump and people I wouldn't have thought in a million years, you know, but these are also people that can talk to you about it. You know, they'll, they'll explain why they support this person. Not that I agree with anything they have to say necessarily, but, um, they're willing to at least have a conversation versus other people that are just make America great again. All right. Yeah, right. How, you know, I don't know, but make it great. So, yeah. of course, on the other side of that, there's me, people like me. There's a lot of people like me. It's an embarrassing thing, too. And that is not being able to find that place of mm -hmm. respect at mm -hmm. all. And and then what happens is you start to really indulge because you're you've got your, you know, this righteousness bullshit going on about <laughs> how they're, you know, these ignorant uh, people, all that stuff. Yeah. And then you put everything else in it that has nothing to do with that because yeah. then it's becoming anger and yes. you take everything in every part of your life that's not fulfilled for you and is or triggers for you, whatever it is. And then you've got a really big problem. Yeah. Uh, you end up, you know, throwing shoes at the television. Oh. You see. So uh, this is a, a very important, important point. And yeah. I'll start with me on it, and I'm I'm gonna just work on my uh, witness on mindfulness on that one because boy, yeah, boy, and, oh boy. And I remind myself because going back to Ram Das in the book, you know, we did speak a little bit about Trump because Ram Das, you know, I don't know if he know, still he, does, but had him on his puja. He still uh, does, and I'm like, does. are you really serious? He still does. <laughs> well, he had Bush on there before, didn't he? So he had Bush, he had Cheney, and Casper yeah. uh, uh, Weinberger all the way back when. All the way, but he said, you know, like, and I remember like kind of laughing to myself when he said it, and every time I read it because I can hear his voice saying it, like he's gonna have his comeuppance, and then he's like, poor soul, poor poor soul, mm -hmm. and he didn't mean it, and you know, he was very sincere when he said it, but to me, I'm reading it kind of in a sarcastic way, and so it it makes me chuckle a bit. So I mm -hmm. remind myself of that, you know, he's. He's going to have, like Ram Dass said, his comeuppance, no doubt about it. And um, karma is inexorable. Yes. yes. And so that makes it easier for me to be a little, not cultivate some semblance of compassion. I too want to throw my shoes, you know, at the TV and, and I, my fists clench up and my stomach tightens. And, mm. But what will be, will be. Well, I, remember that people who um, believe in what he represents whatever it may be to them that's important and, yeah. uh, and it's more of a libertarian kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. Um, they are throwing their shoes as well. That's absolutely you know, just at a different network perhaps. Yeah. And so uh, maybe we can start there. Uh, yeah. We're, we're near the end, but there's one thing we, one of the, the top of the whole list was ex to me was expressed of things that will help us to, uh, connect and be with that 
there's so many words for it, but I like to call it the uh, the true okay self. Okay, just you're, it's okay. It was expressed actually recently by uh, Tsokni Rinpoche on a Sharon uh, Salzberg podcast. That okay, the okay guy, uh, and uh, it's in the things that we need. You know, all of these things we've been talking about. Hopefully, will get us more in connection with loving awareness. We'll call yeah. it that too. Uh, so Sharon says, there's a belief that as human beings, we all have a capacity for understanding our lives, for wisdom, for generosity, for connection, for love, even if somehow it's been covered over or obscured, or it's hard to find or hard to trust, but it's there. Nothing can ever destroy it. Even if we don't touch it in this life, it's there. No matter what we may have gone through, no matter what we are yet to go through, it's the bottom line of who we are underneath all the things we've done or the fears we have or whatever it might be. That's who we are. When we do something like loving kindness meditation, instead of, for example, going down the list of our faults again, we wish ourselves well, giving a little airtime to caring and compassion, which we don't necessarily spend much time doing. Hey, that's that's our that's the closing advice from Dead Set on Living, and uh, Chris's great new book. Okay, thanks. Yeah, that's that's it. That nails it. And the last yep. thing I'll share, just in response to that, and thank you, uh, Raghu, for your time and highlighting some of the more memorable parts of this book. Uh, I was talking with Jay Utah. We were both doing Kirtan several years ago at Yoga Journal Conference in um, Estes Park, Colorado, and I remember Jai was. And this was so important to me at that time because he's talking about his own issues with self-worth, you know, just kind of piggybacking what Sharon said. And so he introduces the band every time he plays. And I noticed he did this when I was watching him, but he, um, when he, and he, he comes back to himself and he thanks each person as he introduces them and he takes his face away from the microphone and just tucks it down. And he says, thank you, Jai, very quietly, because he still has that <laughs> self-worth thing, but that for him is a big step. Uh. That's and true. I loved that. So I don't know if he still does it. This is going back to like 2011. Yeah. But um, I love cool. hearing that. So anyways, even, you know, Jayutal struggling with it. We all are. So yeah. everybody, um, everybody. Yeah, yeah. We all. That's another thing, you know, that when we realize that it's us, it's not me. Yeah. It, start, it really helps. So. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks. Real pleasure as always. And, and all of this, uh, we will get you links and everything so you can get Chris's book. It'll be up on the show notes on Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. And you'll also hear, of course, Chris is one of our uh, family of podcasters. And you can uh, you can tune in to him. Just go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Chris. Right? Easy enough. I believe that is it, yeah. Yeah. All right. Great. All right. Well, have a good one. I hope we see each other in the flesh again sooner than later. Uh, agreed. Absolutely. All right. Thank Thanks, Raghu.